Hello, welcome back to episode 12 of Control-Alt-Delete, the podcast where I talk about social media related things with people that I think are very interesting and very nice. So today's episode is with my friend, a good friend of mine, Stevie Martin. So she came over to my house and we just um, kind of laughed into the microphone for 40 minutes and Stevie is full of wonderful advice. So Stevie is a writer, she writes for publications such as Refinery29, Broadly, Grazia, um, Heat Magazine and The Debrief, uh, lots of different places, but she is also a writer and performer for the stage and for the screen. She is represented by United Agents and regularly performs live comedy. She is also working on a number of TV development projects, which is really exciting. Stevie is also performing in Massive Dad 2.0, Step Up to Massive Dad at the Soho Theatre from the 1st to the 4th of June. So go, 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 get your tickets. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is. So I'm here with Stevie Martin. Hello. <laughs> um, I was going to say, obviously Stevie is my friend, so that's why I'm in a bit of a ridiculous mood. But um, I was going to say that when you, when I Google Stevie Martin, Steve, Steve Martin, <laughs> like a 70-year-old man comes up, but like you are actually knocking him out of his heavy SEO. Am I? Yeah. So how many, like to what well, like, ratio? <laughs> you get a big picture of his face. Yeah. And then one down after him is you. Really? And that's actually good. That's really great. Because when you Google yourself, that I obviously don't do, I do all the time, um, you can, like, when you say, like, uh, Stevie Martin, I don't know if that's because I, I type my own name into Google so <laughs> much that it just shows me myself. <laughs> but no, no, yeah. Oh, that's really good news. That means that I'm really, I'm really big now. But in your Twitter bio, you do say... I'm, I'm not, not Steve Martin because for SEO purposes because if people search for Steve Martin my Twitter bio comes up because it says Steve Martin in it. <laughs> so it's genius very clever but also on your website you say Stevie Martin not a man yeah that's not as SEO helpful <laughs> <laughs> just to really, apparently because when you look at the PR you know like the PR database the note next to my name as a journalist just says not a man <laughs> my friend who's a PR told me that that's really good I wonder yeah. what my note is absolute nightmare absolute <laughs> legend <laughs> top top gal um so i guess i wanted to talk to you about lots of different things but mainly um you are a very creative lady oh um i really admire in lots of different ways so i guess the majority of what you do is of course acting and writing and performing yeah is that how you would describe yourself if someone asked you what you did? I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's a horrible thing, but like writer slash performer, because that kind of, that kind of encompasses also journalism as well, because I'd like, I kind of think that I'm really less of a journalist and more, even the stuff that I write for, um, for, for like publications and stuff tends to be more writing rather than like, I'm going to Syria. I'm more like writing to entertain anyway, but yes, yes. I'm also, at the moment, I am doing more creative stuff and writing stuff for various like comedy things rather yeah. than and has that been a kind of a journey in the sense of like working out what you wanted to do because I remember having a conversation with you a while ago now probably like a few years ago where I wasn't sure if I wanted to like kind of label myself in sort of like journalist so yeah. I was always saying like I'm an online journalist I'm doing online writing but you know it's okay to kind of say actually that's not really part of what I do anymore yeah I think labeling is really really important so like when when I wanted to so when I like left uni I was it was going to be journalism and I remember one of the best pieces of advice I got given when I was doing my MA was right from the moment you you finish 
change your um, the way you pitch articles and like change your, your bio to say you're a freelance journalist so because then you, even if you haven't written it and anywhere you feel like you are so then there was a point mm. about last year where I stopped introducing myself as a journalist and started saying I was a writer and then when people said like oh what do you write then I could say well I do a little bit of like this I do a bit of journalism I do a bit of writing comedy I do a bit but it, but it makes you feel it's really weird like tricks you psychologically into feeling more kind of set and more powerful and more like so like you know when um when I was like commissioning stuff at the debrief you get a lot of pictures being like I'm a student and I really want to get into writing and you're like no, no no just say you're a freelance journalist just like I I have to be brave and say that I'm a writer or that I'm an actor but I still like when when people ask me like oh you're an actor I'm like no yeah <laughs> because you get scared because you because then they go like oh have you been in I don't know Batman you're like, no <laughs> I've just been in small things but it's uh but yeah it is a real journey of like figuring out it helps you figure out what you want to do as well because I think the stuff that you're scared of calling yourself is the stuff you actually really want to do you just yeah. feel like a bit of an imposter saying it it's so true I remember when I put aspiring writer yeah. Yeah. on my Twitter for like ages and actually that's not helpful really because yeah, you're writing so you're a writer yeah yeah and it's just that it's it's this, the fear of like well what do you write then and it's like oh god <laughs> I, what do I say what do I say I've never written anything in my whole life <laughs> I can't write I write emails yeah. <laughs> another interesting thing from what you do is that you you write obviously solo but you do work with two other people for Massive Dad yeah. but as well you've written in groups before yeah. how, how does that differ because I've personally never done that and I and it's just it's I mean I'm amazed so that cool. you've never done that and I also I, like that's my thing at the moment is um, I'm going to try and start writing more solo creative stuff rather than constantly collaborating I'm going to keep up all the, all the collab stuff but like not because I think it's I find it so much easier because you can literally, it is as simple as going like, so, uh, would it be funny if this person in this sketch slides down a pole and then someone goes, no, and then you're like, okay, cool, <laughs> that's good, that, that's been vetted, we won't do that on a stage because that's not funny. Whereas if, you, if you're on your own, you don't know what's funny and what isn't, and, and it's, it, that's quite like what, when we've been writing shows together, uh, me and my two writing partners, Liz and Tessa, that's hard enough with three of you trying to decide what will make an audience of 70 people all laugh hysterically and what will make them be silent and you feel like an absolute tit so I can't I, I have so much like admiration for people like you do stand up and people who like you who like wrote a book because you're writing and you're saying with your own brain yep yeah, that's good yep yeah, that's not good and you're making that decision without having to have an outside person tell you and reassure you that it is funny I'm the worst for, for like re reassurance I have to, if, if, I, if I've like suggested a joke to go in like Liz has to laugh and then Tessa has to laugh and then both of them have to like ad agree that it's an excellent joke that can go in <laughs> good yes great and then I feel like I'm done I've, I've done a good job but I can't imagine writing by myself which is weird because all of my journalism stuff is tends to be towards like the funny side I'm not saying that it is necessarily funny but that's the that's the idea I'm going for and I do that myself, so I, I, you know, I don't show Liz and Tessa my articles. I ask them if they're funny. <laughs> you hope that you're so. It, so it's like a purely psychological thing. What you think you're good at. So you're you're saying that you, you know, you wouldn't know how to collaborate, but you would be able to. It's just a psychological block that you're used to writing on your own. Yeah, it's, it's really fun writing with people. I, I can imagine that. I, I mean, laugh so much. Like we're writing this. Yeah. We're writing sketches at the moment for this um, show on ITV. That I think by the time this goes out probably will have already finished but and it's a big writer's room thing so there's lots of comedians just kind of coming and going in the office and me and Liz and Tessa sit on we we write in real time on, on Google Drive 
so like what we're saying to each other doesn't make any sense but we're like writing jokes down and we just laugh and everyone's like laughing hysterically at what and like kind of t- testing out jokes on each other and saying would this is this is this like going too far or is this is this kind of should should, should I dress up like this in this sketch or, or or kind of essentially just voicing concerns about like I don't think this one I'm about to film is funny and then you have to reassure them that it is and like it's really nice it, it sounds amazing I have this like romantic idea of what a writer's room looks like and for you to say no it is hilarious it's yeah, so it is nice hilarious. to hear because I mean I, I I guess it's like quite nostalgic like how I'm imagining like French and Saunders like because yeah. they do say in interviews that they would roll on the floor yeah. laughing and then they put it out there and it would be so funny to everyone else as well yeah but then by that same thing like you can be laughing so hard like there was a joke that we put in, in our Edinburgh show last year and we were me and Liz and Tessa were laughing so hard at it when we wrote it like we couldn't speak for it I tried to film them because like we were on the floor and um and then we did it <laughs> silence we're like right okay so sometimes it doesn't quite translate so it's just just like exactly the same con- um, concept as when you're like you've got an in joke with a with a friend and you're like oh my god and you try and tell someone else and you're like it's the thing with the coat and then and the other person's like well I wasn't there and you're like oh yeah you had to sort of be there some, sometimes and, you do that. And isn't that so true of any form of writing? Because I, I remember when it. I actually came up with the idea for my book, my friend was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, I need to make sure there is no private jokes in this book. Yeah. That is not fun for anyone to read. No, because it just excludes them and, and it make, makes the audience or the readers feel like they've missed something. And then that weirdly would will then harm like the next joke or the next thing that you do because they're kind of a little bit wrong-footed so you've got to make sure that everything is everything everyone's right. in everyone's in everyone's yeah. involved you're kind of like so we, we do a lot of um kind of testing out so we had a, a reference to monarch of the glen in one of our sketches and we we're like okay so we found it funny that we just very casually referenced monarch of the glen because it's not something that you'd imagine that we'd be referencing but we had to like text everyone being like do you remember monarch of the glen just to see if people even knew what it was and everyone was like yes and then we didn't give them any more context than that thanks bye <laughs> and then we put it in and it was a nice joke that worked pretty much every night because people were like what they're just what do you mean monarch of the what and um, so you you kind of have to constantly so you be do aware. do a little bit of um it's not like it's not focus group that's the wrong word no, but, that but like you kind of touch and just touch in with people and just be like sometimes is this a, yeah yeah if you can't because because that's what like if before you do an Edinburgh show you, that's why you preview it so you're constantly doing which previewing is the most painful process in I think I, in the world may I haven't had a baby yet so what's maybe previewing just previewing is where you go around it could be uh, theatres in London it tends to be London because I live in London but um, theatres in London or the back of a pub or basically just like comedy gigs and you go and you do 15 minutes and you try out stuff that you've never done in front of anyone else before basically literally to see if it's funny and um, about oh, 50, wow. on a good preview about 50% of it is funny but that does mean that 50% of it is dread it is silent so it's the most terrifying feeling getting up and, and, and just sort of saying something and, and it not working and then having to keep going because you're like well that didn't work but may- maybe this will work and by the end of it if it doesn't work and you just you feel like uh, yeah there's been a lot of crying um and also but ev- it's kind of a nice together environment because everyone on that bill is also previewing so afterwards is a real unity of, oh god that was a shocker or like oh well that, that that reminds me of this gig what i did and you know it wasn't as bad as this time so you kind of feel feel okay but yeah. that's basically like focus group like that's uh-huh. that's a comedian's focus group because i think i've been to something where um dave gorman does this thing at the hackney mm. attic yeah. where it's like you buy a ticket you don't know who's performing 
there was like Sarah, Sarah Pascoe yeah. and um, some other like really big names and it was their new material yeah. and it was such a different vibe in the room because I knew that they were just not taking it that seriously yeah it's like some, some of it will work some of it won't work yeah and that's what's nice about it because I think if you set it up like a big show then the audience can feel a bit cheated whereas if it's very relaxed and you're like this is mine I'll work then the audience kind of get on your yeah. wavelength and are yeah. a bit more forgiving and kind of it's nice to see new material stuff because it's stuff that you'll never maybe will never see again and no one else will ever see probably because it's shit yeah. but, <laughs> but there was something ironically funny about in some of the sketches the guy or not sketch um, just joke telling joke telling <laughs> um, but he would joke tell a joke and then he'd be like that didn't work and then everyone would burst out laughing yeah. so it was like yeah it didn't yeah yeah, yeah we're all on board with that that was, that was terrible yeah yeah so what about um Im- improvisation um, how does that work within what you've been doing well in terms of uh i think it's becoming more and more important like so liz in my sketch group is um did loads of like lessons quite uh, like a couple of years ago and is really she does a lot of gigs and she's in like a group and and that there's not there's quite a few new uh, sitcoms and series coming out that are improvised. So things like um, Ballot Monkeys, which was on the lead up to the election last year on Channel Four, she was in that, and that was she got a chance to get improvised. And then there's like another series that's coming out called Borderline, which is like another improvised series so that's something that like I've always been terrified of and always been I've done the thing where I'm like yeah I don't even like it so yeah you, you that's your thing so like I don't care I hate it so whatever mm-hmm. and that's just because I've been frightened and I like yeah so instead of continuing to act like a child I've started doing um uh, I've been doing classes in it and it's so much fun it's really fun and it's not scary and it's fine and even people who like don't uh, think they're funny or like it's not all comedians and actors it's like people who just do all sorts of jobs and it's really great but it it, it helps you immediately on stage and also helps you when you're filming because you don't stick to the script when you're filming stuff and what, what and I've, <laughs> there's a thing that I didn't know which is when you're filming and the director says like okay cut the actors like keep acting because it there's a cup there's like a little grace period so once your script has run out you don't do what I was doing which is stop and just stare at the camera <laughs> I'm finished now and um, Liz has like wanted to because we were filming some of our sketches last January she wanted to like put together a montage of just all the times that I finished talking because I just stop and just sort of smile at the camera it's like you can't do that you have to keep going so that's that's doing those classes has really helped with the stuff that we've been doing with um, Eleven-ish on uh, the ITV show and um, and also on stage so when like a light goes out or when something instead of so then normally I would just stop and smile at the audience on stage <laughs> nervously but now you can kind of joke about it and point it out and you don't feel so awful that something's gone wrong because yeah. you actually it's okay you can do you feel less nervous because you're like well i could fill so that um that gap or with some, with some gold <laughs> some absolute gold mate no yeah no i do and i mean, the play i was recently in um that was very the script was written but then people would play around with the script and my character actually didn't but I had to react a lot to everyone else doing it. So the, the, we did a run of it in Edinburgh first, and then, then we took it to London. And that it, was Coach Coach. That was Coach Coach, yeah. And, and in, in Edinburgh, like, I would just steadfastly ignore anyone going to go, I'd just, just say my lines, even if they made no sense now, like, just, I'm just going to barrel ahead. Um, whereas in, uh, then I did some improv lessons, and then it was like, okay, it's not the end of the world. You can just say anything, and if it doesn't work, it's fine. Like... So that was made the whole experience in London a lot nicer because I just people just asking me questions on stage that weren't written. I'd be like, 
Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> as horrifying. Do you do you prefer oh. the live the live stuff because every night's different, or do you you oh, know because obviously you're doing both. Yeah, I. They're so different that you can't really compare it. I love doing live because it is like because you have full control. So you write a thing, you put it, you you finesse the thing, you put it in front of people. That is what you've done. No one can take that away from you. Nobody can. Um, so when you're filming something, you write it. Then you have someone else saying, actually, that doesn't work. We don't want that. And if you don't take it out, they'll just take it out in the edit anyway. So you do have to kind of like bend to people's will a little bit more. And then when you're filming it, you are completely at the mercy of the editing. So they could edit a joke out, they could edit, they could re-edit the whole thing. So it means a totally different thing. And that's, that's you know, really fun in and of itself, but it's, you don't have so much control. So I kind of yeah. like life for that, but I love doing, I love just being on set and also seeing what you've made become so much more real than when it's on stage because when yeah. it's on stage you've got to mime stuff or or you kind of you the audience kind of know that you're in you're on a texan ranch do you think you have to have any particular personality trait to like make it in that yeah. field because you know it's it's competitive out there and what you're doing is amazing but you've worked so hard to get to this point do you have to just yeah. be like on a blinkered mission sort of yeah like i'm not um there's a lot of like we, we, we were talking before, before we started recording the yeah, conversation when we were in the kitchen, um, about like the competitive aspect of it and, and not getting things. And I go up for loads of auditions and I don't get them. And I go up against people who have, been, who have trained and I never really trained or, or you, you put an idea in for a show and it gets rejected. Or, you know, there's a lot of rejection just with any creative industry. And then there's a lot of people getting the stuff because there's quite a small pool of people at the moment in comedy, especially who they're picking from. And um, and that that can be hard and, and you, you kind of have to, just like with any creative thing, any creative kind of profession, I think you've got to be really, the more emotionally strong and able and thick-skinned you are, the better. But I mean, I'm not thick-skinned and I'm, you know, still doing it. So you don't necessarily have to. It's, it's hard because to be, creative people tend to be the most emotional mm. um, which is what makes them good creative, at what they yeah. do <laughs> yeah. but then it, they tend to be hit hardest by how hard the industry is and actually creative people really need like they're, they're the people that need like not structure like nine to five but they you can't you can't have it both ways you can't have your, your cake and eat it so mm-hmm. um i think yeah i think you just have to it's the not giving up thing um quite often when especially when you're at my level which isn't you know it's not a, not a particularly high level but it's, it's it's higher than like I was when I was a student <laughs> and you have people being like how do I get like, like now especially now it's this time of year or whatever I get like people from my old uni being like I want to get into comedy you know how do I do it what courses do I take like you just have to make it as in not make it, you just have to make something yeah and you just have to keep and so the last couple of months was a bit of a lull but we're not going to Edinburgh again so we didn't have that deadline of like a purpose to our year anymore. There's just lots of things happening at once. But there was a point about of about a month where we'd kind of put like all the balls were in other people's courts. We'd written all the stuff and now we were waiting for feedback on like everything. Wow. And then it was like, well, I didn't have anything to do. So then I thought I'd write a play. <laughs> and you're like, well, I mean, it, it, it's like when you're a kid and you're bored. So you make a magazine out of like paper or you decide to write a little book and you it's like that but you're an adult <laughs> and you have to like see it like that yeah and you have to see it more like okay well what will keep me psychologically healthy 
uh, making things, so I, I will just make something now. And you, you don't need another adult saying, yes, you should make that for me. You just need to do it for yourself. And then other adults will come in if it's good and, and, and want to get involved in the party, yes. <laughs> in the making party. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, I want to write a play. I'm, I'm saying it now, so I've said it and it's it's been immortalised, mm-hmm. so I have to do it. I want to write a play for Edinburgh next year. And there's no no one's asked me to do it. No one's recommended that I do it. And um, it's just me going, well, what, what would make me, what would uh, occupy my mind in times of not working, mm-hmm. doing something? And I think that's why if you're just an actor, like, and I don't mean that in a reductive just, I mean you're, you're a straight actor, you're such at the mercy of, of auditions and other people telling you you've got a part. So a lot of actors tend to then go into writing or directing or, you know, fringe work and things like that just to keep a bit mm-hmm. of control. I think is you've got a lot of control because you are, you're the master of, of, of what, what you're creating. And it's when that slows down and other people have got involved and you're like, no, come on, I just want to make a thing. Why is it being so slow? Oh, yeah. And then you have to then just take more control and, and try and yeah, keep I'm doing that. totally understand that because it's like, when you're doing something just by yourself, things can just move quite quickly. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to brief a designer to like make me a logo, which is going to take three weeks for this thing I'm launching. Yeah. Like, I'll just get someone that I know to make it, like, I don't know, for the next day. Yeah. We'll just make something happen. Yeah, it's yeah, It's like, yeah. there's no, like, long process of, like, how companies, some big companies work. Um, and they're working with lots of people at the same time. So you're not necessarily, you may be a priority, but like especially with, with the sort of developmental like sitcom ideas and series ideas that I'm working on at the moment, they're working with lots of other people on series ideas. So you kind of go, okay, um, what do you think of this? And then they say, okay, well, do, do you want to meet in three weeks' time to discuss it? And you're like, what am I going to do for three weeks? Oh, I'll probably write a play. <laughs> <laughs> write something else. I'll write I'll make a skirt. I don't I really, know, I'll I, do something else. <laughs> I love that. No, I, I love, I think that's such an uh, almost like quite uplifting thing to say. Because actually that's exactly what it is. It's just you put it in a really nice way just then. Like, there's only one way to go and that is to keep making things. Yeah. Because something will stick or something won't work, but then something else will work. Yeah, and, and like, you've learned from it anyway. So. Exactly. Do you think it's like you can't get too bogged down with the real back behind the scenes of the industry in a way? Because I think one thing yeah. that really helps me is being slightly naive. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that sounds so easy. I'll just do that, and then it's, and then I kind of find it's not easy, and then muddle through it, and I'm already doing it. It's like yeah. my naivety works quite well in that favour. Yeah, because if you're cynical, then then you'll say things like, "Oh, there's no point giving that in because it won't take. It'll take so long to for anything to happen with it, or whatever." Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Or do you find it hard that people go around going? Well, um, Ricky Gervais just like wrote The Office apparently, like overnight, and then he asked if he could direct it, and they said yes, and now he's famous. <laughs> well, there's always going to be that, isn't there? There's always going to be people who are like, "How did you do that?" But then he was—he wasn't 21 when he when he did, when he became successful. Ricky Gervais was he like? So he's, he's like 32 or something. Yeah, which is still really young. Incredibly young. <laughs> at, the, at the time, I was like, "Oh God, I'm embarrassed." Because it was probably because I watched The Office when I was about 12, yeah, so in my head it was like 50. Yeah, it's like the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Very too. Right, I've got about four years before I'm going to write the off. Actually, that's kind of doable. Um, but like, I think, um, I think everyone, like, I don't know, there's always going to be people that, that you look at and, and actually no, not even people that you look at. There's always going to be people who've just got it immediately and that's fine. But the majority of people have worked hard for it. I mean, you can't not. So I don't know. It's not as really like stupid as just don't think about the people who are doing really well. Of course you do, and I do every night. But um, you have to use it as like a 
uh, impetus to do your own thing rather than and I think the, getting bogged down by what could happen and what sh you know couldn't happen and and, and the, the industry being slow and because I, I sort of bitch about it a lot because it is something that in the last year I've really been woken up to about how difficult it is to get stuff made now and it just is because no one really knows about online TV everyone's all the commissioners are a little bit scared so they kind of want to commission the same thing like over and over again but then they don't and then they give you very there's all lots of things but everyone's just trying to do the same thing so you, I think um, you know in out of the, the three of us in my group Tessa's, Tessa is the most optimistic and the most kind of like let's give it a go and she's the happiest I think because she doesn't she doesn't have any kind of filter that that will say oh, that's probably not going to work whereas I'm like it's probably not going to work <laughs> bollocks to that what like yeah it'll be commissioned in like 2030 and I'll be dead probably that. But, um, but like but yeah you have to kind of keep optimistic and yeah be try and be a bit like try and just just remember that what you're trying to do isn't to become like a doctor or like or like a I don't know an astronaut you're literally you want to like write silly things that are out, out of your head and make other people laugh about them so if that's difficult fine like just okay, yeah, of course it's difficult that's a that's not a job <laughs> so and if you want to make things that is hard because if it was if it wasn't hard, everyone would just be sat at home making some things. Like that's the dream. Mm -hmm. And if, if you wanted to suppose if you want to do that as, as a living, there's downsides to everything, just like there's downsides to being, you know, my friend's a very successful lawyer and um and has so much money and so much job security and so much, and a great life. But she works all the time and that's the downside of it. Mm -hmm. And yes, yeah, it's like how what you select to make up your time. Yeah, and what you're willing to put up with. And I think yeah. a lot of people aren't get you know, have this idea that being cre uh, being creative, which I suppose is what my job is, because I don't have a job, <laughs> like doing making things, let's call it making things, is is a perfect way to live. But then they see the downsides and how slow how slow the, the process is and how difficult it actually is to even just self-motivate in a room on a Thursday when you're like, I just want to go outside and get drunk, um, is, is hard. Um, and uh, yeah, even even that, um, then they'll they'll kind of be, be put off by that and realize, and kind of get, get fed up with it. Yeah. But you just can't get fed up. And, it, and if it, it, it's the right career for you, you won't get fed mm. up. It's so true because I think the, the elephant in the room sometimes when people do get some element of success is like the late nights and the weekends and the shit job that you had for years mm. whilst doing it on the side and I guess that's what I really admire about you I've seen you in the times where you've oh been working oh like you've been horrible time <laughs> but, no, but, no, but it, was, it was like I think you can only get so far if you're willing to sacrifice certain things I yeah. saw myself in that for example you know, I've written on my blog for like nearly seven years now whilst having lots of different random jobs, some of them being really stressful. Mm. And I've seen you being like, you know, packing up your desk from a day's work and being like, right, I'm off to Edinburgh now to like do, you know, a run of like also, like every, single every night. night. I was yeah. like, we, we used to, when I had my It's important job. to talk about that stuff. Yeah, because I think people just think that you leave uni and then you're like, well, I mean, some people do, I suppose. And that's, that's that they are the exception. Like all three of us, we all, have no money um and so we couldn't just be like well let's um let's write a sketch show and take it to edinburgh because we don't have any money so you have to do those jobs so yeah i used to work um there was towards edinburgh the first edinburgh there was a point where it was it was ridiculous and you know when like, you look back and like how did i not i mean i suppose i did cry a bit but like how did i not just go what no and like i don't know set fires or something like i was like working in um for a career site writing um articles 
and it's my first journalism job and um, obviously within four months of the, my first dream job in journalism I'd realised that I actually wanted to work in comedy <laughs> so I was then so I'd get, get up and like do 9.30 till 6 at this job and then Liz and Tessa would arrive because there's a little studio in the office and then we'd do 6 till till last tube working on the Massive Dad show oh. and if we didn't work on Massive Dad show it would be because we had a gig so then we'd go and do a gig and then towards towards uh, August it was till two in the morning and I'd be, I'd be getting like three buses home and then getting up to do an early shift at 7am I'm exhausted like, it was listening horrifying. to this and then I wondered yeah. why I became because I, I like I you know did the I had to take some sort of antidepressant at some point because it, 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 it got to the point where I was like I actually if someone says to me like nice hat I start crying like I'm so you know when you're wound so tight and like if someone changed like a dentist appointment and went oh it's going to be like half an hour just like half an hour earlier that was that would completely have a domino effect that would ruin my whole week because mm-hmm. they'd be like, well then I can't do that then I can't do that because there was no spare time and that happened before Edinburgh this year as well um, where I was at the, at the the debrief and um, and I was working in, in the mornings uh, tra- editing what we'd done the night before and then working with with the girls till last June began and working all weekend and I hadn't been on holiday for like four years like it, it sounds like oh no you haven't been on holiday for four years oh poor you poor little poor little middle class girl but um, but, but, but it, it's, it's, it's just working constantly and um, then when so you do get some form of success so the show went well and we're all represented by a great agent and we're all doing you have to like take you have to take time to congratulate that and and feel good about that and, and feel like you've, you've succeeded in that because that's a big like a thing like just like with anything if you know anyone who's ever been like a waitress and then got out of it because they finally got that stage where they want to be you just feel so good about yourself. So you're like, I, you put in the hours. Yeah, I think it's about, and you do have to put in the hours to, to, because I'm now at a stage where I can write, I can pick and choose what journalism kind of I do. Um, so I pick and choose what journalism I do. <laughs> Next to but I can pick and choose what um, commissions I take um, a bit, and I can, uh, and then I'm getting to steady work from from writing comedy. That means that I can live like and I'm not, and I can have a lovely evening, come and do a, lo- a lovely podcast. But that took like I'd say it took a good five years to mm. get to the stage where that happens. So it's not easy. So like for anyone who like wants to do it, you you do have to put in some time. But it's yeah. so fun because the highs are so great. Yeah. And you love doing it. You probably couldn't imagine never doing it. Yeah, doing a show after you when, when you're so tired and you have you hear an audience laugh at a joke you've written at like four in the morning, you know, like you just it's so fun. Like so one of the sketches that my my favourite sketch um, has like a like a narration. Um, and you can kind of hear what we're thinking and we me and Tessa like recorded the narration at like three in the morning on this on the floor of this function room um where we just we just talked about brooches for like for like 20 minutes just going is that a brooch you're a brooch is that a brooch and then I pause it and be like oh my god I want to go home anyway keep going and now we've like we've just been paid like money to have a production company uh, film it and uh, it's going to go out on just Vimeo and be like pushed out and stuff but it's also going to be shopped around to channels because they, people are interested in, in making it into a show <laughs> and that was like on the floor of a function room when I had no money <laughs> just talking yeah. about brooches I love it's it nice. I love hearing the stories behind the shiny like you know like you have your own show at Soho Theatre that's a massive thing that's like huge for you to have your own show in a London theatre like those words are big but when you 
talk about the stuff behind the scenes and like when I have seen you and you have looked really tired <laughs> as we all have when we're yeah, like trying yeah. to like make shit happen it's like can't really ignore that I would never complain I'd do it I would do it again I, I would go to Edinburgh again like I'd because I love that I am addicted to that feeling of like you you struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling and then getting something and I think I feel like the chase is really worth the chase is my fave like I love the chase the chase is my top fave <laughs> I love it but, but, yeah. but you do hear that when people actually get what they want there's like this massive anti-climax oh my god yeah it's like, like the next oh, thing the chase yeah exactly like yeah, like reject me again yeah keep, keep rejecting me and then I can talk about how much I've been I've been like rejected <laughs> and, and like, like whenever I talk about um I don't know, like uh, that sort of thing. I was like, my northern accent comes through more because it's just one. I'm from the north. I'm from hell. Like you're not. Um, but like it, it just, it just adds to a nice story that when you look back, you can be like, well, I, I, you just don't ever want to look back and go, oh, I didn't try. You want to be like, I tried and it didn't work. Like I might be a lawyer in like three years, fine. But I've gi- that will be because it's fully failed. Like and I will have given it a bloody good go. And I think you always have to give it. You can't do things by halves, I think, if yeah. you're going to do something like this. Just like you can't do half of a law conversion and expect to get a job. Like you've got to do it all. Yeah. And you've got to put it all in and then put all your cards on, on the table. Then it still might not work, but you. But then you can die happy because you've given it a go. Yeah. Here, here. Oh my god! My, my <laughs> Let's do shots. <laughs> Woo. We actually probably will later. Probably later. Um, and so my last question was because this podcast is about social meds. Oh my god, meds! <laughs> I don't know anything about social meds. I've got like nowhere near the amount of followers. I love you when have. you email me and you're like, I need some help on my meds. <laughs> some meds advice. Yeah. So social meds, social media. <laughs> sorry, okay. I, hate, I hate myself for saying social meds so I many hate, times. I hate. Um, the, the thing I'm interested in is. Um, how social media does play into potentially selling your some of your tickets for your show. Do oh, yeah. you do you use it in that way? Yeah. Because obviously like Facebook and Twitter and all of the all of the meads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the whole yeah, the gamut of meads. Yeah, because yeah. I know that you're you're not intrinsically like interested that much in I like I like it. Yeah, but you you don't sit on Twitter as much as me, and I and I love that about you. No, I tweet like once in four days. <laughs> yeah, you're like I'm eating a hot dog, and then you'll go and then you'll go offline for like a week. But, um, <laughs> Follow me at Stevie. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's yeah. A, it's I, a, it's I, I actually do love it. Um, but does that help? Like you know, self promoting your shows and marketing, massive dad, etc. Oh, it's huge. Um, the the production company that we've chosen. So we're filming. Um, our sketches, some of our live, our favourite sketches from our live shows. Um, we're just filming them because, again, we wanted to have something so we can show people what we're like on screen. And um, so they're just going to go out on like a Vimeo thing or a YouTube thing. Um, but the production company that we're working with um, are Made in Chelsea's uh, production company, and they have an incredible PR team, mm-hmm. an incredible reach, and and they've got a whole strategy of how to push them out. And we're working together with a lot of like publications to push them out. And that's based like there's no point in making something. I mean, I, no, there is so much point actually in in making something that nobody sees because you've made it for yourself. But then sometimes when you want to take it to that next level, you've got to you've got to basically go out all guns blazing and you would not have any of your guns blazing if one of your guns wasn't Twitter uh, or Facebook or you just have to so like when, we, when we're doing the Soho run we've got we're, we're going to take an advert out on Facebook we're going to you know put adverts on and you kind of yeah Twitter is really important it's, it's difficult because um, we you, 
Twitter is really important for like comedians. Um, I always follow everyone after I've seen a show. Yeah, and and some comedians do it really well. I think stand ups are better at it because they literally like they use it as a joke kind of thing. So they just all their tweets are jokes. I was like, I'm bothered. Like, if I come up with a good joke, I want to put it in a show. But then they have like hundreds of thousands of followers, so that really helps with, with getting audiences in. But even with we've probably got like one and a half thousand followers, I think, and probably between us maybe about 2,000 followers all three of us um, but uh, yeah it does help and it does help it, it, Facebook really really helps and um, pushing it out yeah it really does but what's what's kind of nicer as well is that word of mouth is still the most important thing so we, we did like a festival last year we did Cornbury Festival and Latitude Festival and we do them every year because when we go to Edinburgh and after the show, we hand out these like silly badges and people kind of come up to you and kind of chat to you. So many have come to see you at something else or they've your, their nan saw you at Cornbury and said you should go and see you. Like so many people. You do still have to push it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not but Dora also, Green. <laughs> well, <laughs> not yet, that. my friend. No, but it is, it is interesting when you, you know, you can get a core group who just like die hard want to come and see you guys yeah you do get and then nice you could group. just see that sort of pass on very organically getting yeah, bigger and bigger people bringing their friends to our show are my favourite people because yeah. then their friends bring their friends I'm, really the sad, I'm the sad I'm who has seen it quite a few times but I want to bring someone to be like nudging them like this bit this bit yeah that's what my uh, sister does she mouths the she mouths the words and then laughs like I can hear a massive booming laugh just before the joke. Like, oh, great! It's yeah. preempting it. But um, yeah, that yeah, it is, it is important. But I think um, it's not. We haven't used it as well mm. as we should. Mm. We need a social media manager. But yeah, maybe we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that off air. Yeah. Um, I just yeah. One other thing that I'm really nosy about. I know I just said last question. This is my last question. Um, Are you on your period? <laughs> <laughs> No, um, <laughs> I actually asked you that earlier. You did. I'm not. I'm not on my period. Um, do you find that being a comedian or and someone who is a performer, do you sometimes feel like you have to be on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like at all times, oh, because obviously, when with close friends, you know, I'm sure even if I was to um, go to the pub with, I don't know, Michael McIntyre, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't be as jazzy yeah as um, because we are all human beings you don't expect like a novelist to talk in um very you know amazing flowery language at all times yeah. do you sometimes feel like look i do my thing on stage and when i'm off stage just back off <laughs> <laughs> um i think that i should be more like that maybe because i do feel especially i yeah especially only when people come and see a show that i've done yeah and then it's their night out so especially when I was doing like a run of if you're doing a run of four days or if you're doing a run of a play which I did which was only three weeks long but every single night someone would come and see it and then afterwards be like have a bottle of Prosecco in their hand be like hey and you're like I am tired I have done this every night for a week and not the play I'm talking about going out afterwards and um, especially if um, there's a couple of times it does happen a lot and it is a thing I think with and um, comedians in general that you hear people going well I met so and so after their gig and they were really quiet or they just walked off or they didn't because when you've done a gig and quite often if you don't think you've done particularly well or it doesn't feel like the energy was good in the room or you're over because you're very oversensitive I'm very oversensitive to the amount of laughter how much laughter the intensity of the laughter and you know there might be to an audience it might seem like it was a, f- a bloody riot but to us we know what it could be so we're not and after you you you, you come off you, f- you do feel like sometimes really 
not ashamed, but you kind of want to be like, I'm sorry that wasn't good, I'm really sorry that wasn't good, and, and this didn't work, and this didn't work, but it, it normally works for you. And you can't do that, so you would call it um, uh, cl- closing ranks. So you said, like, we call it, not comedians, meaning me and Liz and Tessa call it closing ranks. You just close ranks, and then you perform. So um, quite a lot, I think you probably saw it actually after Coach Coach, um, when you came to see it, because I was knackered, and I didn't feel like I'd done the best job. Um, no one would have noticed because I didn't walk on piss myself and then cry I did all the lines but like you just feel like you weren't quite on and then you have to kind of go into performance mode where it's like ha 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 and just sort of and and, and that's horrible but then you can trick yourself into doing it but aside from that whenever anyone comes to see a show it's horrible whenever you're in a group and someone goes um Stevie's a comedian I just want to leave immediately because nothing I say will be funny you're not gonna just I'm not gonna like Jimmy Carr one line of jokes. No, I went to like a um, the most time that really encapsulated was I went to my friend's kind of leaving thing. He was going to Australia, and there was a guy there who I didn't know, and he knew that I was in some shows, whatever, and was just like, "You're the comedian. You're the comedian. You're the comedian, aren't you? You're the comedian. Say a joke." And I um, was uh, like silent. I just went, "No, you just come and see my show, and I'll tell you a joke then." And everyone was silent watching me, and it felt awful. And then after I left, I said goodbye. I said goodbye to him, and he went. I bet you're funnier normally. <gasps> we said it in a really kind way, and I was like, oh, I yeah. hate you and myself. And so that's why I say writer, performer, but then even then, that's got preconceptions, doesn't it, of what you're going to be like. Yeah. But it is quite a lot of comedians I know would never say, I'm a comedian, because it just makes you feel you've got to be so unsure. So like, like, or just being really loud and the centre of the fun. And yeah. I kind of feel like that anyway, even before I was doing this. I always had to felt like, you know when you're on form at a party and when you're really not on form you say like three weird things and no one like, no one like, everyone goes what? And then, oh it's horrible and then I, I would always just be like, oh, I've got to leave I've got a sore face and then I would leave um, but now it's a, it's a lot more, and it's exhausting being on all the time. Yeah, of course and it's, I just uh, yeah, I'm so fascinated by that because I feel like it's not fair to be like you can't expect anyone to be on all the time and especially when it's like, excuse me, pay for my show <laughs> yeah. and then, then you'll, you'll see it then you'll get the goods <laughs> it's nice with Liz and Tessa because when we're, when the three of us are writing we're not on like at all but it's so it's good to be working with people that you can come in and look like yesterday we were writing I look like shit <laughs> so I got an eye infection and so I had this big massive fish eye and I was like really tired <laughs> and, I was, and I just wanted to eat chocolate and I was gonna sorry I was, I was really and then and then you sort of like get into it and then you know but you, uh, you know we, we don't meet up wearing clown shoes ready for a day of comedy like you just don't you can, most most comedians are quite tired and underpaid so they're quite like, but um no you yeah the truth the we, truth <laughs> this is the truth but most comedians right here, are tired right and underpaid but it is a really fun job guys so yeah. I think you should do it yeah oh thanks Stevie thank you that was awesome I feel like I've learned something oh really I and see Stevie's show can I, everyone can, can I plug my show yeah it's on the 1st to the 4th of June at the Soho Theatre and it's called Massive Dad 2.0 step up to massive dad love it <laughs> no i do thank you um <laughs> thanks even thank you <laughs> bye bye <laughs> if you like this episode please remember to leave a review or a rating on itunes it would mean so much to me also um tweet me at girl lost in city on twitter i'd love to hear your feedback so thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week <laughs>